Welcome back to another episode of Life With Them. Thank you so much for tuning in. I really, really do appreciate it. I would also appreciate, before we get into the episode, that you guys rate the show five stars. It means the absolute world. I see that it's working. Each episode, you guys are rating it, rating it, and rating it, and I really do appreciate it. It pushes it out to a broader audience, and that is the aim of the game. In today's episode, we have Donald La. Donald is bloody 18. I, like, cannot get over the fact that he is 18. It just seems like a lifetime away that I was 18. And I just saw so much of myself in this character and I cannot wait for you guys to listen to his story. Donald is juggling entrepreneurship, which personally lights me up. And he's doing it in AI, an up and coming topic and so relevant to today's day and age. We discuss the intricacies of AI, how he's juggling entrepreneurship whilst being a first generation Asian and succumbing to those expectations where, you know, you have to do this sort of high school, uni, get a job path, which is completely fine, but Donald has seen a different way and he wants to pursue that. And I think it's incredible that he's wanting to do that and we uncover that a lot in the podcast. There is a huge segment in productivity as well, which I actually really appreciated as it gave me a bit better insight into just how you can optimize your lifestyle. Anyway, that's enough from me. Enjoy the episode. I think it speaks for itself and I really, really, really Hope you are able to share it around. Love you lots. Enjoy the listen. Welcome back to another episode of Life with Lamb. Today I'm here with Donald La. Donald La is an entrepreneur and founder yes. of Quacked AI, and he's a first year student at the University of Melbourne. Welcome. Yes. Thank you for having me. Really excited. I um, can't wait to chat further today. I'm yeah. so, so keen. Um, we've had a chat before, yep. uh, recording as always, as we always do on Life with Lamb, and I'm really keen to unpack sort of the topics of entrepreneurship, AI, how relevant, uh, sort of education and your personal growth story. But I guess for the listeners, let's talk a bit about you. Who are yeah. you, Donald? Yeah, so as Jaden mentioned, I am a first year <coughs> science student at the University of Melbourne, um, and I sort of just started Quacked AI on, on a whim, really. Uh, I think it started as a newsletter at first. Um, and just having the overwhelming support of my, my friends and uni mates and whatnot sort of brought it to where it is now. Um, so sort of, yeah, just doing everything from my own experiences um, and just sort of starting it in the first place because of what I saw back in high school and just it's where I am now. It's yeah. where I am now. What did you see in high school? We'll start with Quacked yeah. AI. Like what, what is it? Yeah, so Quacked AI is what I like to call a multi-platform startup, which is sort of built for students by students. And we say that because we're sort of tackling the idea of teaching parents, students, and teachers how to use AI safely in their daily lives. Um, and we do so through our three-step ecosystem. So we sort of have like free resources, like the newsletter I mentioned, and then we're building our own AI bots to help students learn. And then also doing like workshops just to sort of, you know, guide people down the right path when it comes to using AI. Um, and yeah, sort of just went from there. And that's sort of the whole, I guess, structure and backstory behind Quack AI. Incredible and super relevant for today's day and age yeah. where, you know, chat GPT is so prevalent and, you know, AI is, you know, going to take over the world. Yeah. So uh, I'm keen to navigate that conversation because I think, yeah, not many people um, really talk about it. You know, they, they bring up chat GPT and they're like, oh, wow, it's this amazing thing that just spits yeah. out all these uh, resources and um, pre-written scripts and, and those sorts of things for you. Um disclaimer a bit of the uh segmentation of this podcast was uh used by chat gpt but 
uh, you know, we like to keep things transparent yeah. here. <laughs> and it's like sort of fitting that we're using AI for an AI related podcast. Yeah. So it fits pretty perfectly. 100%. Now talk to us a bit about your upbringing. Like who, who were you as a kid? Like yeah. what were you kind of like? Um, um, were you always into sort of like, I mean, you couldn't really predict AI yeah, from when you were a bit AI younger, then, but yeah. um, have you always been like entrepreneurially driven? What's it been like? Um, I don't think I was entrepreneurially driven until like maybe a year or two ago, even less. But I guess growing up, I was definitely like very invested in like playing games and sort of understanding how tech work tech worked on a very basic level. Never got into coding and stuff until like sort of uni and whatnot. But always had that fascination with like just technology and like how everything in our lives is sort of based on technology now. Um, it was like super early on like the iPad, grateful for that. Um, and sort of just like learned to use tech from a very young age. My, my dad and brother played video games with me growing up. So I guess Beautiful. video games is like a very big bonding thing for me and my family. Um, and it sort of drove that investment into tech. But otherwise I was definitely a kid who wanted to try everything growing up, whether it was sports, performing arts, leadership, and even primary school, right? Doing like sort of everything I could to just give everything a shot. I think I was a very optimistic kid growing up. Um, I just wanted to give everything a go and I didn't care what the outcome was as long as I just tried it. And there were many things that I didn't like, but then of the few things that I did enjoy, I sort of brought them along with me into high school where much of the same, you know, really experimenting with sports and whatnot. Uh, and then, yeah, sort of in the, the last year or so, I had like um, a tutor and then he was very entrepreneurially driven. And then he asked me, well, what do you want to study in university? Because I was sort of up to the application process last year. And I said, computer science. And he asked me why. And he just kept asking questions that tied back to the idea of like, why are you applying for computer science? And it always went back to, well, I want to support my family. I want to have a job that's going to like give me financial freedom once I graduate from university. And he said, you can technically do that with any job. And then he asked me, well, what do you truly love? And then I talked about how I wanted to have a really big impact on like local communities and even the world if possible. And then it sort of came to the point where I realized maybe doing something that I myself have created in terms of like a business or, or whatnot could sort of help me achieve that goal and sort of fulfill my, my dreams in terms of what I do for work. And so I then realized, okay, well, let's do computer science in uni because it's sort of the second most enjoyable thing. There's not really an entrepreneurial course in university, but let's give it a go sort of once I start. And then that sort of working through the last couple of months or so has like sort of led me to here. So if that's like my, my life story throughout primary school and high school to now, that's sort of how it went. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, and that's the end of the pod. <laughs> no, that's beautiful. And, yeah. and I resonate so deeply with that story. And I wish and I hope that some people can find that tutor that asked you why 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 yeah. and I think oh there's like a framework that I learned about in uni where you know you keep asking the question why and then you uncover deeper meaning or it's like I think there's a talk by I forget his name it might be Simon Sinek uh and it's called start with why yeah and it's such an important um it's such an important starting point it, it, yeah. with life with with career trajectory, with the people that you hang out, with just anything to do with life, um, it uncovers so many different things. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah, yeah, and it looks like, from your perspective, like, it most definitely has, and you seem like someone who's so switched on and driven by this goal because you've uncovered and sort of brushed past, like, the background noise and what other people are sort of projecting onto you. Is, yeah. that, is that correct? Yeah, it's sort of, you do get a lot of people who are like, 
well, you're 18, well, you just finished high school. You're 18, well, right. this, well, that. <laughs> and I'm sure you'll get it too, sort of, you know, even running this podcast, because um, you've done like many, many episodes by now. And I'm sure when you first started, it was sort of the same experience. Like even your parents or your friends are like, okay, well, the, the pros do this. The older people in their minds do it. What makes you like sort of, well, why can you do it is the question. It's like, why are you the person to do it next? And so it's sort of overcoming that stigma that we're young. But I guess that's the most powerful thing. It's because we are so young, we have so much time, so much drive to to achieve this dream, to achieve this vision that we have in mind. Uh, I feel that's actually an advantage more than anything. Our youth is sort of powering us through to, to reach our goals. Yeah, definitely. And I think like the idea of, yeah, we're so young and we have so much time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the lens is flipped and I think very normally, like a very common uh, misconception or way of viewing that is like, wow, like I'm getting older now time is closing down. I should be nailing that grad job. I should be applying for these roles. I should be working and making a lot of money. And it's, what's the next thing? Whereas I love the lens where it's like, well, I'm young. Like, why don't I try these things? And it, and it was demonstrated when you were in primary school and then you can sort of drop the things that you don't like. And then you take those things over and then you can start dropping again. And then you take those things over into the next stage, into the next stage. And yeah, it's a beautiful, um, beautiful way of approaching life yeah it's all about just sort of niching down i guess you could say until you get to the point where this is the true thing that i'm passionate about in this time this frame of time you know it's like ai might not be forever for me but at this moment in time mixing ai entrepreneurship and like the uni lifestyle like that's where i find myself sort of enjoying my work and enjoying my life so it's like don't be too overwhelmed uh, like about what other people might tell you to, to do, like some career pathway to go down, especially if Asian parents, you would know. Um, just be super transparent and clear that, you know, this is something that I enjoy doing. Let's let's dig a bit deeper and let's sort of explore the opportunities a bit more. And then you might find something that you like truly, truly love. And then mm. just stay there and like work super hard and then you'll get to where you want to be. I do want to discuss the topic about, um, you know, the Asian upbringing. It's such a revelation of the <laughs> 21st century, especially with us uh, first gen Asians, although we did discuss before the podcast that we'd probably be considered second gen because of how young our parents uh, did immigrate over to Australia. Um, what's that all been like? Um, I can imagine the time constraint or the pressures surrounding, mm. you know, like find that secure and stable job has been really apparent. So what's it been like navigating it? Yeah, I think especially because both my parents didn't go to uni. Um, my dad was sort of on the pathway towards going towards uni, but um, because of certain circumstances, had to drop out of high school to support the family and just sort of work full time. Um, and so for both my parents, it's sort of, they didn't get the chance to go to university as much as they would have loved to. Um, and seeing as we mentioned earlier as well, how grateful we are to live in Australia and to be so privileged to the point where as long as we get through high school and just stick it out, if we just give it our law, you will probably get into university um, and you can sort of work your way up no matter where you start towards your, your dream goal. Um, and so my parents very much saw it that way, you know, just work hard. I'm luck- lucky they didn't think too much about like the grades and whatnot, but it was more so just about getting to university in the first place. Mm. They were very much like, go to university, you know, do your three or four years, five years even, go into the workforce and then just work your way up the ladder. And then you'll sort of get to a position where I can support them, give back and be financially free myself as well. Um, but sort of when it ties towards like entrepreneurship, it's a very different story. I, I think the stock standard image for us Asian first-gen kids in Australia is to go to university and then work a job. But then for me, it's sort of doing half and half and trying to mix entrepreneurship in there 
it's not as risky because I didn't like not go to university mm. to pursue these dreams. But you'll quickly realize that when you sort of are running your own startup, that'll consume more of your time than university will. <laughs> you know, you'll probably end up um, doing other tasks more than you will study. <clears throat> and, and that became apparent to my parents. And so they were like supportive of me giving things a go as I did back then. I've sort of proved to them throughout primary school and high school that, you know, I'm much, very much about exploring different options in life. But when it became more and more of like a time-consuming task, they were just a bit worried about, you know, will I fail uni? Will it take away from that experience? Um, will I end up not going into the workforce straight away? So uh, there's been a bit of back and forth there between me and my parents. Nothing, nothing bad, just, <laughs> more, just more concerned because they, they haven't seen what it's like for a first-gen kid to, to go out and run a startup mm. and then sort of succeed in their mind the same way we would if we just went into the workforce. Definitely. There's that... Um underlying or, or not even underlying there's that messaging that you know this nine to five or you know the pathway of get good grades go to a good uni get a good job mm-hmm. and then raise a family like that yeah. narrative is so apparent and I don't blame them it's something that's been so common for the past decade or, or even longer as well yeah. like so so long it's been this narrative of you know find that great job yeah. Go work that job and then raise a good family. So uh, there's nothing wrong with that as no, well. No, there's nothing wrong yeah. with that at all. Um but yeah, like like we both mentioned, such a privilege to live in Australia and the idea of starting your own thing just I don't know, that appeals so much to me. And is yeah. that something that struck out to you? Yeah, I think it was definitely building something from the ground up that I'm super proud of. I think I just love the idea of doing work that is like super specific to what I want to achieve in terms of helping others um, and also supporting my own passions as well. And I think the perfect place to do that is by starting your own thing, whether that's communicating messages with an audience or, you know, delivering a product or a service or whatever it might be to sort of help people. It's definitely something that's much more achievable if you sort of start it yourself. Mm-hmm. Whereas your true ideals or passions or dreams a bit more blurred if you just go into the workforce. Like you could probably work for a company that sort of aligns with your values, but you can never truly communicate your entire message unless you sort of do it yourself. Bang so on. trying to, to start that, it's a tough task and it's not something my, my parents are super used to, but it's something I want to continue sort of chasing for as long as I can really. Yeah, that's so spot on. And I think as much as a company um, can talk about, you know, these are our values, uh, this is our culture, you know, op- open door culture, extroverted business. Yeah. Um, you know, they're all sort of like the, uh, like the big, bu- what are they called? Buzzwords. Yeah. They're buzzwords. And while, yes, it might be demonstrated in that company, I'm not pushing or saying that they don't um, demonstrate those values. Like you don't have that autonomy. So when you can start something from the ground up, you can dictate that. Yeah. So I think that's such an empowering thing. And in so many ways, I feel like I can see so much of myself in, in you as well. <laughs> like which is you. like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a bit, it's a bit scary. <laughs> <laughs> speaks a bit better than me, yeah. but it's all good. <laughs> Too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's it, it's a it's a conversation that lights me up. And um, yeah, geez, like very, <laughs> I, I'm like lost for words really because like, I guess, yeah, not too many times you do see these sort of first gen Asians like break away from that narrative. What are some of the ways that you've sort of navigated breaking away from it? You know, like there's so much external noise with your parents. You know, you've said, yeah. like, obviously there's back and forth and everything, but how do you navigate it? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to just being super transparent with them. I think 
a big part of going to university and working that job is the idea that you're working hard, you know, and you're hustling. That's what our parents did to sort of get us to where we are. And so I really tried to push the idea that I am still hustling just in a different form. And if anything, hustling more than I would have if I just went through university, like um, the normal route mm. in their eyes, right? I think the fact that I put so many hours in just at home, like they always see my door closed when they open it, it's me in a meeting or it's just me like writing note, tons of notes down or just getting work done. Uh, and just sort of communicating the idea that I am still working super hard and sort of applying the same knowledge I would um, from uni. Like, you know, I'm still coding and doing all that sort of stuff that they would expect me to do on my degree, just again, in a different capacity. Um, I guess alongside being transparent is showing the results. It's one thing to say you're going to do something, but it's another sort of whole category to show that you are actually producing results and having an impact. That will take a long time. I can tell you that. Like the first five or six months of me working Quacked AI, super slow. But then you get all these no's from people and then all of a sudden you hit this yes moment where someone gives you an opportunity or a chance and you just capitalize. For me, it was getting the chance to present... Um, at the Southern Hemisphere's like EduTech Expo. So sort of all the leading companies in educational tech gather to, to showcase all their new work. And there's a small section dedicated to startups. So we got the chance to run a store there, um, participate in a pitch competition. And my parents came along to watch it. And they finally saw all my work sort of on stage. And so at that moment, they realized that there are other people who care about the work I do. And so should they at that point. Um, so yeah, definitely showing that you're still hustling, grinding, and then showing the results were two sort of really key factors in slowly turning my parents <laughs> towards a more positive outlook on, on entrepreneurship for sure. Awesome, man. I love that story so much. So let's talk about the inception of Quacked AI. Yeah. Where did it all begin? It began as a newsletter. Uh, it was just a little, passion, was a little passion project sort of around April, March this year. I was really inspired by another AI newsletter that I was reading um, in my emails. And then I thought, well, there's a sort of a big gap in how students are using AI. It's super prevalent in the media that, you know, they're using it to cheat in university, high school. And parents and teachers are super concerned with that use. They know about the great use cases, but are afraid of the cheating that can occur and sort of work that doesn't align with the curriculums that we set out in the first place. And so I wanted to educate students the same way that newsletter taught me about AI, but more in a way that sort of benefits them academically and also for the workplace in the future. And so I dedicated a lot of that time writing articles that are super like punchy and catchy and sort of relevant to their trends and interests. Mm. Uh, so talking about like social media, uh, all the science fields that they might be studying and all the, all the celebrities that they love and how all of them are using AI. And then tying that back to how the same logic and principles applied in the real world with the things they love can be used to help them excel academically. Mm. So the same way that Ryan Reynolds might be using ChatGPT, let's sort of flip our thinking and see how can we use his same methods, but then help us to write uh, a little passage of analysis or to brainstorm some ideas for an upcoming essay, that sort of stuff. So it began as, yeah, that little passion project. And then my uni mates came up to me and were like, why don't you do something more? And at first it was like, could create my own AI bot, but I don't have the skills to do it. And then sort of as the months went on, it became more and more easy to get access to tools that could help you create AI bots on a 
easier scale. And then we sort of taken it off from there and really just sort of mixed everything together to create that ecosystem that I mentioned earlier. Amazing. And I remember before the start of the podcast, you did mention that you identified this sort of gap in education as Mm -hmm. well. Do you want to touch a little bit on that? Yeah. So that sort of idea of trying to bridge the gap between disadvantaged students and what I guess you could say advantaged students um, was that during high school, um, as school captain in high school, definitely noticed how my fellow peers across all year levels were doing super well when they were in class. But the moment you're done with class, there isn't much support because your teachers are out living their own lives. And if anything, they're marking all your assignments and essays. That's a lot of time outside of uh, paid hours for them as well. So it's already a super big commitment. And so unless you had a private tutor, you don't really have a sounding board to, to um, you know, get your ideas out there to, to help you feel feedback, to help you feel work and get feedback on it. And so, you know, I knew a lot of programs existed where there was like volunteer tutoring and you would agree as well that like, while yes, we are still giving tutoring to these students, it might not be the best tutoring to sort of help them excel academically. So I sort of felt, well, if humans can't do it, then what if sort of AI could help with tackling the same problem? So went away and tried to emulate that teaching experience, but with AI. And it's not to replace the teachers, but it's to sort of extend on the teachers after hours. Mm. So definitely working with a lot of teachers and students and even tutors to create an experience where disadvantaged students can get all the help they need after school without having to spend all that sort of money. And Mm. so it will sort of tie back to their school affording it or even making it free for them to use. Yeah, there's such a fear with um, things that are new and you can definitely see that with how yeah prevalent it yeah. is in the media with cheating and I guess like UniMail was straight onto it. It was like, yeah. if we catch you using <laughs> ChatGPT, you're banned and <laughs> like you'll fail all your assignments and, and all those sorts of things. So there's so much fear, but um, I think it's people like yourself and people who see uh, optimism in these sorts of things that can really change it for the better and, and really benefit a cohort that... Mm-hmm is probably neglected really and and more looked down on it's like oh wow you weren't able to achieve that 90 plus ATAR mm-hmm. you're bad you're bad you yeah, know like so oh like, you're yeah. a failure sort of thing but it's like they some people are so privileged they can pay for a tutor after hours um you know they go to a private school there's quality education mm-hmm. there don't get me wrong like you, it's definitely a, like a pay to win society <laughs> at the moment um so yeah why not utilize free and accessible tools such as AI to benefit and help those disadvantaged people. Yeah, exactly. And so trying to bridge that gap uh, and also help the teachers in that process because there's definitely a lot of things we can do with AI that can also benefit the teachers to save them even more time. So if they do have any extra time to help students, they will have it at that Mm, point. Exactly. It's all about streamlining and optimizing the process in this day and age. And I don't think any teacher would be complaining if, you know, all of a sudden AI could help them mark a student's Mm -hmm. essay or assignment or test papers and those sorts of things. So yeah, uh, it's an amazing sort of uh, resonant behind it and like reasoning behind why you created Quacto AI. Um, Talk to us about like the key milestones of it. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the Edutech Expo. Unfortunately, I couldn't go, but... um, (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) Yeah. What was it like sort of like standing on the stage, pitching your idea, something Mm -hmm. that you're so passionate about? And I guess what was the outcome as well? Yeah, so I went in with heaps of imposter syndrome. And I guess to tie it back to a bit more of my entrepreneurial experience as well and being so young, everyone else who ran a startup store had either worked in a big company previously or this is like their fourth or fifth successful startup. And so they're sort of buying into that store to just present their work and sort of build an even deeper connection with their clientele. 
But for me going into it, it's like we pretty much had a fully sponsored spot. Um, they really looked after us as well. And we went in with like no clients for our bot because we were literally launching at the expo for the first time. So there's a lot of, I guess, fear around how it'll perform, the the judgments or critiques we might get. Um, also being super young and not having the same experience as everyone else. When I arrived at the store and sort of saw all these older people, many from the age 30 to 50, and were sort of not bragging, but like were talking to me about their previous experiences as well, which I learned heaps from. But they were all working, you know, out of these big companies previously and then sort of applied the same knowledge to run their own businesses. And so running the store, heaps of imposter syndrome. But the feedback we got was like super overwhelming and really grateful for the people who came by to support us and really just showed us that there is a lot of potential for us to keep working on our projects and sort of validate our ideas. And then when it came to the actual pitch competition itself, I set really low expectations. I said to my team, if we don't come last, I'll be super happy. Somehow, some way, we made it through to the final round and then we ended up coming second, I think out of like 25 startups or oh. so. So I was like super, super like blessed and happy with that, I guess, opportunity. And what stood out to them and what they talked to me after was you stood out the most because you were so young and you're out to sort of solve this massive problem, although you don't have any experience. And what's so great about it is I'm just giving it a go. I'm not sort of letting anything else hold me back. I might feel the fear in the moment, but when it comes to actually getting the work done, I'm still just putting my, my name out there and giving it my best shot. And you know what it is? Sometimes it's probably better that you don't have the experience because it doesn't negate or um, predetermine your biases Yeah. entering things. So these people who have been in the corporate world or done their own thing, they're going to have a pre-wired way of doing things. And in a world that's so fresh, that is AI, you sort of can't come into the same industry or come into that industry with the same mindset. Yeah. So it's so fresh and like, re yeah, it's so refreshing that you're able to come into this industry with fresh ideas and actual purpose and why, and not just like, oh, I'm just going to come in because, you know, like I can, yeah. <laughs> like I've, I've had four or five other startups <laughs> under my belt. Like what's going to stop me with this other one? So nah, amazing yeah. story. Thank and you. congratulations on the second Thank place. You. Like it's, th it's these stories that really excite me because, you know, we are the new wave. We are the new generation. So why not make the most of, like our inexperience, yeah, which is think, normally looked down on. I think the naivety at some point is sort of being used to my advantage. Like I ignore like possible road bumps because I just like fly right through them because I didn't know they existed in the first place. <laughs> yeah. And so when there are big road bumps, we tackle it slowly and we try to overcome it. But I feel like I just miss half of them because I don't know they exist. <laughs> and I'm like, if it's not, if I can't see it, it's not my problem. <laughs> it's not exactly. my attitude, which is a bit bad sometimes when a big thing does pop up, I have to be much more careful of how I tackle it. But otherwise, it's like, yeah, I think I just try my best to get the work done. If there isn't a problem, it does feel a bit weird sometimes when there are no road bumps, most likely because I'm just like ignoring them and not realizing they exist. You got a four-wheel drive yeah. or something. <laughs> <laughs> just like great suspension going yeah. over all the bumps and stuff. But yeah, I think it does feel a bit weird sometimes when I don't know what's really going on. I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, I've gotten past this milestone, like the expo, and then what do I do next? And so it's like a super big question all the time about what's the next step for me? And I'm always asking people, but at the end of the day, it sort of comes back to my own decision. And so there's a lot of, that's when like the, the naivety and being so inexperienced 
does go against me when I have to make these big choices. Mm. But I think it's all just a learning experience. And if I make mistakes, it's, it's all good. I'll just pick myself back up. 100%. Well, the definition of an entrepreneur is the risk-taking factor mm. um, or the, what is it? Entrepreneur is willing to take risks and, yeah. um, you know, succumb the mistakes and learn from it. So definitely fit that criteria. And I think like high risk, high reward. Mm. If you don't take these risks where will you be yeah. sort of thing. Uh, like the imagery I'm getting is like a, bl- a kid with like pinata, like <laughs> sort of thing, just like blindly whacking it. Exactly. Um, That's how whacking it feels. Into the yeah, air. exactly. But eventually you strike that pinata and then you get all the candy. So it's like, why not keep doing that? Exactly. Uh, I think that's a great analogy as well. I feel like I've just met a small hole for a few candies rolling out. Like I can't wait to just make even more holes or if hopefully like hit the whole hit thing the whole and thing. it all blows up and then it all works out. Yeah. 100%. Cool analogy. Yeah, I rated that one. <laughs> what do you feel mm. has been your most challenging road bump? Yeah, I think I'm going through it right now, if anything. Mm. I was sort of actually on the bus on the way here, like jotting down things to sort of try and overcome this road bump, if anything. <laughs> it's mostly to do with now the expo's over. We do have all these opportunities available to us. You know, we want to seek investment from people or we want to branch out to more schools and whatnot. But how or who do I choose? Because you can't choose everything at once. You know, you really have to make the, in what your mind would be the right choices at the right time. And so it feels quite lonely at points when you're sort of like, no one can tell you what to do here. You know, Bill Gates could sit there and give you all this advice, but he will always at the end of the day tell you, you still have to make your own choice here. I can give you all the pros and cons. I can objectively tell you what you should do, but the choice is still yours. And I don't have Bill Gates, so it's even worse. It's like, I just have to make the choice. And so it's just sitting there for hours sometimes, you know, writing all my thoughts out. Like, should I work with this person or that person? Or should I ignore this opportunity and wait? Because something else might come along in the next few weeks or months to, to help me. And it, it definitely feels like you don't have a sounding board mm. at some points. And so it's really just trying to navigate through the uncertainty that I find is the hardest thing. Because when you're doing the expo, for example... There's this management person just giving you a checklist of logistical things to do and you just tackle all of them. They say, prepare a pitch. At least you know to make a pitch. But here it's like, if I make this deal with someone, like how do I write a contract? Um, I've never done this sort of thing in my life. There's all these other things to sort of juggle and just learn on the spot really. And so, yeah, I feel like right now is the biggest roadblock simply because if I'm being 100% honest, I don't know what's really going on. I just got to figure it out, you know, as we, as we move for sure. Yeah, it's literally that um, perfection paralysis. So you have all these tasks, all these opportunities, um, but then it's like, which one do I pick? Exactly. So you definitely feel that paralysis, but as an entrepreneur, you have to do it. Otherwise, and I think like there might be a statistic out there. I don't have the the factbook (laughs) or anything where, you know, actually, no, we can talk about like, let's say Kodak, like one of the biggest um, misses ever. They completely fucked their, <laughs> I guess, like their progress because they refused to digitalize. Yeah. And they refused to sort of make an action or they did do an, an action, but they chose to do film cameras and invest in film cameras instead of going with the trend of digit- digitalization. Um, so it's like, make that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess like be prepared to take that risk and face the consequences or maybe yeah. reap the rewards of it as well is like my piece of advice. Like sometimes you're just going to mess it up, but you can't be too cute about these things. And it's a learning experience. Yeah, for sure. And I think 
having that mindset of always going in to just learn and soak things up like a sponge is the most important lesson I've learned so far. You know, I could make all these other mistakes, but at the end of the day, just learn. You know, it's you you're you're bound to make mistakes, but if you learn from it, in my head, it's a win. It's more so if you just ignore the mistake and let it sort of haunt you and drag you down for the next month or whatever. That's when it becomes a, a loss. But everything in my mind is like, as long as I'm learning, I feel like I'm still progressing one way or another, for sure. Beautiful. You sound like someone who's very um, reflective and sort of self-aware. What do you like with like note-taking? Do you journal? Um, do you, I guess, like voice record things t- so that it's sort of playing back in the background? What, what, what's the practice like? Yeah, I think most of like the, the cool thoughts or innovations I try to come up with come from the shower. Like <laughs> shower thoughts are crazy. I literally find myself just like writing with my finger <laughs> on like the glass <laughs> and like watching like mist away. But at least then it's like in my mind. Or, like if I'm playing music, I'll like pause the music and just like quickly, um, you know, jot some notes down of, of something that I've come up with in my head. Um, otherwise when it comes to learning or even brainstorming new ideas, I'm super for mind mapping, like Mm. even with the AI stuff, because you are helping schools, I'm really interested in like learning science, um, and all the psychology behind it. Again, owe it to my tutor back in year 12 because he taught me all those skills. And I guess I just try to interweave all that knowledge with what I do now, but yeah, brainstorming is super powerful just because you learn to connect ideas on a much deeper level like topic A from the start of the semester compared to the end of the semester might seem so far apart. But if you magically find a connection, that could be that 110 marker question in your exam, for for, for example. And that always happens. And that's how we prove that. And that's why I I brainstorm and and mind map so much. Tying it back to the idea of like entrepreneurship, it's sort of the same thing. I either just like spit everything out on a page. I always do key takeaways from when I meet up with people. So for example, after this podcast, just like you taught me that lesson about not being too cute about things and just tackling ideas. I know all those things down. And then I sort of write like five key action points I take away from each sort of important meeting or conversation I have with someone. And then I always act upon those and then have like, you know, daily action points, weekly action points, then monthly and then yearly goals and stuff. So it all sort of stems from how I learn and then that influences how I also reflect. I think being reflective is like the number one key thing for studying, for any type of work, really. Yeah. How have you practiced this? Like, have you always been this reflective individual or was there a key pivotal moment that changed it? And yeah, like, how did you practice being reflective? Yeah, I was very reflective throughout year 12 with just the things I was learning. Mm. Again, um, through what I learned from my tutor, it was like, just be very reflective each week. You know, even on a personal level, it doesn't have to be about the things you learn, just... Were you in the moment when you had like fun experiences in the week? What were your key takeaways? What went well? What didn't go well? And so I think naturally from those guiding questions and and, and being a person who very much guides themselves with questions and always being curious and inquiring about the world, being super reflective by asking yourself, you know, the right questions sort of led me to the point where I could sort of seamlessly apply it to entrepreneurship. And so again, if I had a meeting with someone or if I, if I messed up somewhere when it comes to doing the work that I do, I would reflect on it automatically, even if it's just in my head for a few seconds. It's always just thinking back of, I will have the same experience in who knows how long, but what are some things I can learn from it so that I'm better prepared the next time? And so yeah, sort of over the last, I guess, year and a half, it's just been all about reflection. And if I, have, if I wasn't reflecting, I don't think I'd be where I am right now, for sure. 
Are there any specific like apps that you use or are you a very hands-on like in a notebook sort of thing? Yeah. Um, so obviously the shower glass is one of them. <laughs> yep. Um, disappearing ink. Disappearing, <laughs> disappearing ink. It's pretty, pretty magical. Got my book in there, actually my bag as oh, well. Awesome. Um, I have a, like a really simple notebook that I just write everything. For some reason, I write reverse in my book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I just, I just started, I was like testing the ink on, on the pens and I just started going backwards the whole way. Um, but when I do brainstorming, I have this app called Concepts. It's like an infinite canvas. So I'm, I'm much, I'm not much of a believer in just brainstorming on like a single A4 page because you'll really quickly run out of space. But having that massive canvas, like I can write really big ideas, small ideas, so like literally by size, I can sort of dictate how important things are to me or in what I'm learning. And so, yeah, you guys should definitely give that app a go. Um, I'll send it through to you as well. It's like just super, super good way to prioritize things. I think part of reflection is prioritizing. And yeah, that app just enables me to just very seamlessly do all, all the reflecting that I need to do. And onto the topic of, I think we've moved on to productivity. <laughs> <laughs> I love where this is going and, and thank you for the recommendation as yeah, well. Oh, I have yeah. to have to give it a go. I'd love to see like yeah. a notebook or, or even just like the canvas and brainstorming because it's something that I definitely want to work on. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're constantly so reflective and, and looking introspectively as well, like what went well, what didn't go well, even in a social situation, I know it sounds so weird, but there's been social encounters where I've been like, trying to reflect back and when you don't write those things down it suddenly dissipates away yeah for sure and you can't tell a story i had a podcast with um anthony recently and he spoke about um actually no not a podcast actually i did a workshop with him and he asked me to recall sort of like a year so say 2015 and he asked how many memorable moments can you remember from 2015 Mm -hmm. and i sat there and i was like i i can't like i I could probably think on my hand, like how many memorable moments there were. Probably yeah. less. I don't know what happened in year five. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, year five. Oh my oh God. God. <laughs> that is insane. Um, but yeah, like you, you look back at these moments and, and you can't think of them. Yeah. So if you have them jotted down, the storytelling aspect becomes amazing. And then you're more in tune with yourself. Oh, that, I remember that moment that made me feel X way. Or, oh, this moment was so pivotal to my perception of, of why. You know, so such an important skill. Um, I wanted to ask you about like time blocking as well. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you talk about the hustle, how you're hustling Quacked AI yeah. harder than uni, very much the same with Life <laughs> at Lamb versus uni. And you're balancing like a uni committee as well. I can imagine social uh, interactions. Yeah. Um, what's that all like and, and how do you go about it? Um, I do two different things, I guess. Um, so part of the reviewing process sort of tied all together is at the end of each week, I do what I like to call a weekly review. So not only do I reflect on work, uni, and all the social interactions like we've mentioned, but I also sort of p- plan my priorities for the coming week based off of what was done the previous week. Because obviously, we're not perfect. If anything, you you execute on less things than you realize, and there's a whole heap of things that you still need to do the following week. And that's perfectly fine <laughs> as long as you're ticking the boxes off. But the important thing is to realize, okay, I've got five tasks remaining from last week, major ones. What else do I have this week, including any due dates for assignments, whatever, or any projects? And it's like, let's put them onto a list. And then from there, let's spread them out throughout the week. I think time blocking your entire day, like literally hour by hour, is quite a daunting thing because when you sort of visualize everything, you realize how much you have to do. And that leads to procrastination. 100%. So I like to just have... I still block it out on my calendar, but I don't allocate overly specific time blocks. Like if I go over by 30 minutes on a homework task, I'm not going to like 
it's not the end of the world. I'm not going <laughs> to skip dinner because uh, I didn't finish an assignment or something. But it's more so just at least having an idea of what you need to do. And then from there, still slotting it into your day. But don't sort of control every single hour because things will come up throughout the day. You have to eat still. You got to take breaks. So you have to consider all those things. And by that point, if you were to block every break, every dinner, every phone call in, you will never have a clean looking calendar or will you ever get all of that done? Because let's say you block, call my mate at 7.30 PM, but then you expect them to call you or something. They don't call you for hours and hours. And then suddenly you have this massive block. We don't do anything. So it's much more about just know what you have to get done throughout the day and you will sort of do it. If it's truly important to you, if it's urgent and important, you'll get it done. Definitely. Because you can't just do an assignment without be like, I'm not going to do my assignment. That's worth 50%. You know, you're going to do it eventually. <laughs> 100%. No, I love that so much. And uh, one thing, I, that's something that I've learned throughout the semester. I, I started it off. I was like, I'm going to be so specific with each day and each thing. And, and I'm going to control my controllables. And you can't control uncontrollables that come up. Exactly. As well. So it was, I was like blocking in like certain amount of hours um, here, one hour there, half an hour here. And it's just it gets, it escapes you. Mm-hmm. And that's not by my fault. It's more like things happen exactly, and yeah. I can't control that. And if you try and dial it too far in, it sort of gets lost in translation as well. Yeah. Um, so one thing I've implemented is checklists. I think checklists yes. are an amazing thing throughout the day. Gives you that dopamine physically checking things off. Not like a reminders app. I think, uh, the reminders app, sometimes I press it and it just disappears and you're like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, that's it. But if you physically like can cross off or tick off a task, I think that gives you such dopamine and motivation to continue going. And then I think the non-negotiables, that's where you time block. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can sort of schedule your day around that. Yeah. I think as well, on top of all of that is I agree checklists, not on the reminders app, just like whether it's like written somewhere or you can even put it like as a checklist on your Google calendar Mm. because it, it stays there once you've ticked it off. But when you sort of fill in the title for those goals, be super specific. I still follow like the high school idea of like smart goals. So specific, manageable, attainable, relevant, time bound. So I think it's super important to have a checklist and be a bit more lenient and free going with how you plan your day. But when you get to doing a task make sure you know exactly what it is you're going to do and just a rough indication of how long you're going to spend. Don't say you're going to spend or actually, I'll give the worst example. Seven o'clock, write English essay. Okay, well, what English essay am I writing? What idea is it pertaining to? How long am I going to spend? Am I writing two paragraphs, a whole essay? I think those little things where you just sort of make it super, super smart, <laughs> literally, <laughs> is like, it, it really does add up. Because if you go in just saying, write an English essay, you might, for some reason, skip your planning process, your brainstorming process, and then you might procrastinate. It leads to all these other sort of permutations that you can't expect. But if you know exactly what you're going to do when you jump into it, you'll be fine. Definitely. And one last thing to add on to that is like, when when you say like write an English essay, you can even write mini goals in between that exactly, as well. Yeah. Like plan this topic or two topics or three topics and then list them down. Because as you tick them along, you're like, holy shit, like I'm feeling yeah, myself that, that right That sense of achievement is like, so powerful you don't realize i think yeah literally and subconsciously you're like in this flow state now where you're like okay i can i can get this done i can i can really achieve this so yeah, yeah i love it oh productivity yeah what a, what a topic <laughs> have you used ai to help it at all there's there are quite a few tools out there um that help you with sort of planning your day but some of them just sort of slot everything in and <laughs> it's, 
it's smart in that it knows how long a task should go for and it puts it in automatically. But again, it sort of goes against that idea of you sort of constrict yourself and you become too harsh on yourself and things just overlap very quickly if you miss something in the schedule. So while it can set out the calendar for you, it's still up to you to adapt to that calendar itself. I do use AI sometimes, mainly ChatGPT even, to just get an idea of what I should do for a task, especially with Quacked AI, as I mentioned earlier, that sense of uncertainty. At least it gives me a bit of an objective point of view of what that task should look like. So if I need to draft up a contract for something and I don't know what to do, I'll ask to set a SMART goal to then sort of give me some guidance on how to start drafting that contract. Should I look at certain resources, speak to certain people, focus on certain segments and how long I should spend on it? It gives you that tiny bit of reassurance that your own thinking's on the right track. I don't use it specifically to do everything in my planning, but it just gives like a sounding board. Sometimes I just suggest my ideas and it's like, maybe you could consider this as well on top of it or don't think about that too much. Mm. So I use AI much more on from the perspective of helping me set those goals for each sort of period of time in the day, but never specifically to make my entire day itself. And I think um, that goes to the topic of AI where you really have to be specific about what you want it exactly. to do because yeah. it isn't its own thing or it isn't its own brain at the moment where it's not going to know exactly like what you want to achieve. Yeah. So it's just going to spit out like what it thinks you want to achieve. Mm-hmm. So the more specific you can get with programming it and the more detail you can give when putting in inputs that's how you can tailor it and use it to your advantage. Exactly. And sort Definitely of on said. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, thank you. This is good. Um, on that topic of AI, I want to. I still want to get into a couple of questions. The listeners have not done me a service here. They have <laughs> been very, um, oh, they've been very blank with me. They haven't even given me a question. So I came up with my own. I wanted to ask, like, where you sort of see AI heading into the future. I think there will be much more or many more guidelines and regulations in the educational space, which I think need to be done. They're sort of being drafted up at the moment with the department. Um, and even ChatGPT released a guide for teachers on how to use AI in their classrooms. So one thing for sure is that in the educational space, there will be much more regulation to make sure that students are using it safely, sort of backing up what we're trying to achieve as well. In terms of AI itself, it'll just grow smarter and smarter. No, there won't be, I think it's called the singularity where like Terminator appears and, a- and, and AI and all these robots sort of take over the world. When that day comes, I probably won't be here in the first place, right? That's someone else's That's problem. That's someone else's problem. Wait, we're being a bad generation now. <laughs> the previous we're generation leaving. left the climate change we issue. The climate change and now we're leaving AI behind with the next generation. Of, yeah. It just gets worse and worse. Yeah, exactly. All right, that's not going to be your planet. Because um, instead of, us killing the planet, someone, someone else, someone gonna else kill the planet. is going to come and kill us. <laughs> so that's not going to happen for a very long time, mm. right? Um, and I think even by then, we don't have many regulations in place and we can sort of see how that might be negatively impacting certain industries, but they will be put in place. And so it'll slow down this, in what people would say, this inevitable process of getting to the Terminator, which I don't think is going to happen, but there will be regulations and guidelines in place. I think the tech will sort of lean more towards having specific implementations in different industries. So the same way we're applying AI to education and teaching students from a teaching perspective, in the workplace, you'll have better AI to do certain tasks, like AI that specializes in admin tasks, AI that could work alongside people to do accounting stuff. I know a lot of people are scared about losing their jobs to AI, but again, as you said, AI 
for a long while won't be able to think for itself. We're still being specific with the inputs. So jobs will sort of shift over to this idea of you're sort of a buddy with AI and you do some work, the the long calculations it'll do for you, but then you're still putting it all in, you're, you're fact checking it, all the qualitative stuff, the, all the text, you're still typing that up, sort of working together. So I definitely see it more in the workforce and in education and any industry in general, but yeah, more specific and working alongside humans much more. I don't think there will be any sort of crazy Terminator instances <laughs> happening uh, anytime soon for sure. And I guess a problem shared is a problem halved. So yeah. where can you sort of embrace these new changes to optimize your practice? Yeah. Like take that lens as well. That's it completely, it's that lens is right there for the taking as well. Instead of being like, oh my God, like, oh, it's going to take over. Like we're <laughs> going to lose our jobs. Terminator is going to come out and destroy us. Like why don't we flip the lens and be like, hey, this is like this new cool thing. Like how can I exactly. use it to best better my practice yeah. sort of thing? So yeah, love it. What are some of your favorite um, AI sort of apps or, or um, little tri- tips and tricks that you have? Yeah, uh, so definitely ChatGPT. It's the best one out there. It's like King. It does pretty much anything you would want to ask it to do. I guess as Jade mentioned, it's about being specific with the bot itself. Uh, one really popular method is telling the bot to play the role of an expert in this sort of industry or field that you want outputs from. So mm-hmm. if I want some help with, let's say, a kid, let's not use computer, let's use a marketing assignment or something, or you want to write an essay for English literature, tell it to play the role of a marketing expert or, a, or someone who markets in a, in a big company or a world famous um, author or something. Because then the bot sort of knows to narrow down to this sort of certain part of its, you could call it a database in a sense, and it'll just sort of draw information from that. And by being specific with its actual persona and role, you can dive into its specific tasks you want it to do. You know, as this uh, marketing tutor, I want you to specialize in these topics. I want you to deliver your information as if I was 12 years old to make it super simple. I want you to run a simulation where you give me a question, I'll give you a you give me a question, I give you a response, and then you tell me if I'm right or wrong, then you give me feedback. So you can literally control AI to do what you want it to do. I really love that simulation example where you pretty much are going having a back and forth discussion and it asks you questions and it really gets you thinking and, and learning about the topics in school. It's actually what our bot is sort of built on, this whole idea of having this simulation or extension of your teacher so that you are getting these super relevant answers. And if anything... Our bot is built on those principles about being super specific and instructing it to be an expert in different fields mm. so that we can give students the best experience possible. So I guess on that note as well, our quack bot, um, our AI bot is probably the, the number two tool. Still working on it. Um, but yeah, it's definitely built towards students. Um, and if any of the viewers want to give it a go, more than happy to share it with them so they can try it out. Definitely. I'll definitely have like a link to yeah. access it in the show notes below. Ch- cheeky pug. I love that. <laughs> um, no, nah, beautiful. And, and, I can see the passion uh, behind like the way that you're speaking about it and lighting me up as well. <laughs> Thank you. I love it. Where do you see sort of quacked AI heading in the future as well? Mm-hmm. So we're currently trying to roll out our first few pilot tests with schools and working closely to sort of show them the entire ecosystem and introducing it to them super thoroughly. So doing numerous workshops of schools and showing them how to use the bot and just doing all these like, you know, standardized tests that students can sort of give their feedback so that we can go back and iterate and improve the whole experience for everyone, really. Sort of in the next 
year or two, we definitely want to expand out to more and more states, hopefully share our bot and our ecosystem with as many schools across the entire country, and then hopefully go global. Because a part of that vision of teaching students how to use AI safely is they have to apply AI use themselves. And so we want to build personalized tutors for each and every single student around the world. I know you can't do all eight or however billion kids there are, but if we could sort of reach a global scale where we are helping kids from all these different countries and different backgrounds, like that's my job done in my heart. It's like, I know that I can sort of help disadvantaged students excel academically through AI. So we're definitely trying to scale and build up this ecosystem. And on top of that, start content creation. Just like this, uh, we want to share our, our key messages with AI and life in general as a uni student and how we go through all these different experiences on much bigger platforms. Mm. So, you know, whether that's like YouTube or whatever, we definitely want to explore those, those avenues and then just, yeah, share not only our brand of the world, but our key underlying messages. Mm. I'm so keen for it. And what a privilege to have been the first to interview you and and sort of get quacked AI out there like I I really hope people resonate with the message and and see just how great this generation (laughs) is going to be I reckon um I have a final question and this one's sort of tailored towards the (laughs) simulator I keep being more specific (laughs) no sorry um for aspiring adolescents um who want to break this path of you know the narrative of doing well in high school sticking to uni and then working sort of a job that doesn't necessarily light them up or they're Mm. not necessarily proud of. Do you have any final takeaways or messages that you'd like to relay onto this cohort? I think start as young as you can. If you have a dream and you have a passion, like the only person who's truly stopping you from chasing this dream at whatever scale it might be, doesn't have to be an entrepreneurship, might be anything you want. It's, it's yourself. You're like people can say whatever they want. Your parents can, your friends, the people you currently work your part-time job with might be doubting you. Just really back yourself and give it a go. So it's you're the only person who can stop yourself. Give it a go, and tr- choose something that you're truly passionate with, because it's it's fine to sort of jump around from interests, but if you really want to settle on something that you want to work forward with, make sure it's something you'll enjoy for at least a year or so because you really want to put your time into it so that you can reap the rewards and see the results because you don't want your efforts going to waste if you just stop halfway. So stay committed to it and really just network and communicate, you know, whether it's, you know, coming on this podcast, speak to you and and having other people share their journeys or, you know, just reaching out on platforms like LinkedIn, Instagram to talk to people who you look up to. You never know who you might get in contact with. You know, in the last sort of month, I've met people who I never thought I would have met. And they've given all this valuable advice and really encouraged me to keep going. So I guess in saying that, it's about finding that audience who really resonates and will push you to to do your best. Having all of those ideas sort of work and culminate together will just lead you down a path where no matter what happens, you sort of don't lose until you quit. You get into this mindset where no matter what happens, your passion just drives you through all those road bumps and you sort of won't get pulled down anymore by the doubters and whatnot so yeah sort of those sort of I think it's like four or five key principles will definitely get you started I'm still on the journey where I'm learning as I go and I definitely want to continue assuming that role of someone who's definitely learning and not passing on their expertise but as someone who has been able to start something at least those are the the things that have carried me through the first couple months and almost a year now of, of entrepreneurship. Mm, it's that pinata analogy. It's that pinata analogy. Exactly. You keep swinging until you hit it. So, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. How old are you, Donald? I'm 18 at the moment. 
<laughs> Bloody hell. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's oh, been good. so special. Thank you for having me as well. Of course, yeah. no. You're 18. <laughs> <laughs> and you speak so eloquently. Um, your journey and rise to sort of like where you are and you're still in your learning stages, of mm. course, has been incredible to, um, yeah, just listen to and, and sort of get a gauge as to like, how bright you are going to be in the future and how Thank bright you. you are already. Um, I think the themes of yeah entrepreneurship, um, AI, and also just embracing like your passion and like where you truly see yourself um, in the future mm-hmm. has been such a key takeaway for myself. And it's like being this little reminder to like keep going with the certain dreams and passions that like I myself might have. And I hope that you continue to do so as well. I'm really keen to see where Quacked AI ends up in the future and I hope to see it um, land in a lot of the education departments and the space there. Um, yeah, even the productivity tips as well has been <laughs> really handy. We'll have to we'll have to keep in touch and sure, yeah. we'll have to do a podcast uh, sometime along the line where, and see where Cracked AI ends up. But I really do appreciate your time. Where can people find you? Yeah, so you guys can find us um, on our newsletter. Um, it's called The Daily Quack. Uh, we'll have it all linked below I assume as well um quack the eye on Instagram sort of the two main platforms we're at um at the moment and then yeah soon I'll be building my own personal brand as well and platform on Instagram so yeah I'll share that through as that time comes on across all that media as well so yeah keep your eyes peeled for that amazing it all works out yeah (laughs) I hope all the listeners can follow your journey and um see what you get up to because I can predict that there's going to be a really bright um future ahead um be sure to follow at life with them podcast and we'll catch you (laughs) In the next episode. Oh, good. Thank you. No worries.